Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Strong Christian Female Podcast. This is a community of women who want to be warriors for Jesus. We are kicking off the desire to be comfortable and embracing a wholehearted abandonment to Jesus Christ, not through legalism, not through works, but through his grace and mercy. We're going to overcome the lies of this culture and replace them with the truth of God's word. So whether you're a grandma, a student, a stay-at-home mom, an entrepreneur, a coffee lover, or a tea drinker, you are welcome here. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. This is Charity, and we're going to jump in full throttle today. This is called The Lie of Christian. And I, and I want to be very, very clear. I am not saying the lie of Christianity, nor am I saying the lie of Christ by any stretch of the imagination that would be legitimately blasphemous. But the term Christian is so confusing in our culture today because it's used as a blanket for so many things that aren't actually reflective of Jesus Christ at all. And I'm not talking about our opinion about the Christian church. I'm not talking about our opinion of what it means to be a Christian. I'm talking about the lie of the word Christian and how it takes away so much from what Christ commanded us to do as followers of him. So Jesus never used the word Christian. In fact, the word Christian isn't in the Bible. It was given to us as a group of followers of Jesus by people outside the Christian walk as a negative term, as kind of a snarky, snide term. We, you know, I think the Christian church was fine taking ownership of that. But in that term, people start to define it the way they want because it's not defined in the Bible. What is defined in the Bible is what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what we need to get our focus back on. But one of the things we're going to jump into right now is a, is a study that was done. And it's talking about Christianity in the United States. Now, it, some of these will surprise some of you and some of you will think, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. But it's just to gather information to springboard into this topic. So first of all, four out of five Americans identify as Christian. Four out of five I mean, in, in this culture where so many people hate Christianity, you might be very surprised to know that 80% of the population claims to be so. Very interesting. So four to five Americans identify as Christian. Less than half of that group goes to church. Less than half of that group believe the Bible is true, shockingly. And they have no distinguishing worldview that is different of the world than other religions. So the same group of folks doing this study, gathering this information, decided to subgroup people. And, and the subgroup they focused on was born again Christians, people who claim to have a personal commitment to Jesus Christ, which I got to be honest with you, you would assume the word Christian means that a personal commitment to following Jesus Christ, right? So 50% of American Christians claim to be born again. Their beliefs and lifestyles, though, are virtually indistinguishable from those around them. They're saying that the large majority of this group, you can't tell a difference in their lifestyle and any other people of a different religious faith's lifestyle. Many believe their works can earn them a place in heaven, not scriptural at all. Others think that Christians and Muslims worship the same God, again, not scriptural at all. Some believe Jesus sinned on earth. Again, not scriptural at all. A high number of born-again Christians describe themselves as marginally committed to Jesus. Marginally, I'm, I'm, you know, marginally committed, but I'm still born again. 
right? They have that get out of jail free card sinners prayer they did, right? So a lot of people take this sort of data and they would say, it maybe even happily, you know, being a Christian means that, you know, you're not that different than the rest of the world. And that might be a positive for some people. Other people might use it as a snide thing. Like Christians aren't that different from the rest of the world. But here's what I would say. What this data is saying, and I've said this on the show before, is most people have no concept of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Instead of following Jesus, what we've done is we've taken culture's definition of Christian, and, and depending on the city in the United States you live in, that, that changes. If you live in the Pacific Northwest, it's a very different definition than Nashville. If you live in Tennessee as a whole, Nashville is maybe even different than if you were to drive out and be in a more rural community. In Montana, Missoula and how they define Christian is going to be incredibly different than how they define it maybe even in a different town like Hamilton or Kalispell. East Coast, West Coast, North, South, traditional, non-traditional. Then, then you get into all the denominations. And then even within those denominations, there are entire oversights of people who oversee a denomination and they've stepped back and they've gone, whoa, 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 we're going to let you guys define some of these things. They've literally done the Pontius Pilate thing and they're like, we wash our hands of it. It's up to you guys. And they've walked away from taking a stand on the word of God and they've basically said, hey, whatever your pastor says is fine. We're just going to go with, okay. And that has nothing to do with following Jesus. That has everything to do with accepting culture. And granted, I understand that this can go from one extreme to the other, from absolute passivity and acceptance of the culture and the sin around us to absolute what would be known maybe as religiosity and having a thousand rules that no one can live up to. Just like when Jesus was talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees. So I do understand that even within the culture of the Christian church, there are extremes that also are not biblical. So we have to pull back from culture. We have to pull back from where we live. We have to pull back from who we hang around. And we have to pull back maybe even from the church we attend. And we need to say, what does the word of God say? And we need to stop excusing our living in history now as if the Bible is irrelevant. I cannot tell you how many people would tell me when I lived in the Pacific Northwest well, that was in olden times. That was a long time ago. That doesn't really happen now. That was for then and that really super specific place. And it doesn't really apply to our life now. You know, humans haven't changed ever. Human nature, Cain and Abel, is the same. You may discover more things that God created in this universe. You may be able to attain a higher level of man's education. You may be able to go to seminary instead of just praying and talking to God. I understand that there's layers of advancement maybe we've attained, but to sit here and say that the word of God is completely dismissible because it's 2020 and not 20 AD or 20 BC or 2000 BC is ridiculous. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When Christ came, he shook everything up. He shook everything up because he came to people who wanted a savior and a Lord. And there were lots of people who didn't. Even then, they didn't care. They told him off. They told him to shut up. He made things easier and harder all at the same time. He said, look, pick up your cross and follow me. He said, don't just walk one mile. Walk two. Freak people out with the level of commitment and love you have. So what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? So in Mark 8, 34, it says, if anyone would come after me, 
let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. See, when Jesus was supposed to be going to the cross before he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so in turmoil that he sweated blood. And and there's actually a condition that has been proven to exist where you become, it's incredibly rare, but you become so anxious, so distraught, so depressed, so worried that you can actually sweat blood. It often comes out of your eyes. It's a little gruesome. I won't go down that rabbit trail, but he was sweating blood. In John 21, 19, you know, he's talking about the end of his earthly ministry and he commissioned the repentant Peter with the words, follow me. So in the beginning of the call of the disciples, he says, follow me. And he turns and walks away, right? And they're like left with this immediate decision. Are we going to follow this dude? Are we going to sit here and like, let's have a discussion. Let's pray about it. Let's join with our friends. Let's go have dinner. Let's have drinks. Let's see if we're going to be compatible with you. No, Jesus said, follow me. And he walked away. And then at the end of his ministry, he said the same thing. Follow me. But see, Peter didn't know what he was necessarily getting himself into the first follow me. But by the second follow me, he knew exactly what he was getting into. He was getting into the wonder an amazement of God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit and changing lives as he went. He was also getting into the persecution and what would end up be martyrdom for him that Christ also faced. So we need to have our eyes wide open. When Jesus says, follow me, initially, it may have been out of ignorance that you followed him like Peter. But right now, you need to understand what it means. And you're not there to pick fights with people. I get it. You're also there to speak truth and love, especially when the Holy Spirit says, do it, to lay hands on the sick, to do exactly what Jesus did. And persecution will follow you, but so will the opportunity to change lives through him. Jesus was humble. When he washed the disciples' feet, it showed his clear servant leadership, as I've heard people call it. Is willing to be humble. When you follow Jesus in his footsteps, you must be humble. There is nothing beneath you anymore. If you are at home right now with your babies, doing diapers and potty training or homeschooling, that is not beneath you. That's Jesus. If you're caretaking for an elderly person and it's hard work, and maybe you're even being yelled at because they're struggling and they're taking it out on you. Now, I get that there needs to be boundaries, but you're still being Jesus and showing them love. In 1 John 2, 6, it says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way in which he walked. He walked with humility. He also walked with power, determination, honesty, conviction, love, forgiveness. He called out sin. He said, go and sin no more. But he also forgave them and showed them compassion in that moment of forgiving their sin. So we need to forgive others. We also need to be repentant and willing to walk in Jesus's footsteps. We need his help. We have to humble ourselves. We have to walk in the way he walked. He walked with power. He prayed for the sick. I know I'm harping on this, but you guys, how many of us have prayed for the sick other than dear God, please help Joe with his cold. And that's fine. But like if you're in Walmart and someone's hacking, are you willing to walk up to them and say, do you want prayer? I hear you coughing. And I know what that feels like. That can be miserable, but God, God loves you and wants to heal you. Are you okay if I pray for you? They may cuss you out and walk away, but you might be really surprised what they say if you show them some compassion. In Colossians 1.15 and Hebrews 1.3, it talks about how Jesus is made in the image of God in human form. And as we become more and more like him, the image of God is increasingly restored in our lives. We are to be him. We are to follow him. We are to only seek him. But see, we are so mirror minded. We look at ourselves in the mirror or we look around at other people. We are a selfie, selfish, 
self-centered mirror generation. But we're not supposed to mirror ourselves or mirror the pastor we love or mirror our best friend. We're supposed to mirror Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, first of all, we need to repent and stop pretending we know everything. Stop, stop pretending that we actually are obeying him when we shut our mouths and ignore people. We need to repent and then we need to follow him. We need to do as he represented in the gospel. In 1 John 5, 7, it says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. So we're not going to keep sinning. We're going to repent. We're going to follow him. And in doing that, we're not going to continually sin as a lifestyle. When we make mistakes, repeat, repent, follow him, repent, follow him. So in John 8, 31 through 32, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? This desire to please the world for one. You guys, I know what it's like to be unbelievably lonely. And if you are lonely right now, I need you to understand you are not alone. Jesus is with you. It feels like he's a million billion miles away. But we cannot continue in relationships that cause us to sin or in habits that continue to help us justify sin. The truth will set us free. And the truth is we need a savior and we need a Lord and we need to follow him because we're following something at all times. And what is it we're following? The world, our friends, our pastor who applesauce and milks us and pats us on the back like we're babies. We don't want to grow up. Come on. We're following him. And he put his big boy pants on and said, pick up your sword and let's go. Now, ironically, I realize he never used a sword, but I'm just saying the word of God, your sword, your helmet, he saved the world. We cannot save the world, but we can tell people about him and help them see Christ for their savior and help save them from the muck and the mire of sin they're in. But we have to stop sinning first or uh, can't do that. So something else, when you're following Jesus, we're going to come to try and understand and obey his teaching and follow his example. In John 14, 15, he says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. If you aren't obeying the commands, and maybe you're like, well, I don't really know what the Bible says. Okay, pick it up, read it. If you can't read it, that I am not saying that to be cynical. I know people who are dyslexic. I know people who have a, a, a disorder. I know myself. I learn so much better if it's on audio rather than me having to read, my, my brain just wanders if I read too much. Even if it's a captivating story, it's very rare I'm so captivated that my brain doesn't want to wander. So I, I prefer things to be on audiobook. The point being is we have way too many tools in our culture to give you no justification for not getting in the word every day or at least spending time with Jesus. I mean, really spending time with him. See, Jesus not only lived a life of faith before his disciples, he called them to live that same life of faith as well. What did Jesus do? Then we will do that. 
I realize you and I are sinful people born into this world, but we aren't called to be sinners. We were yet sinners. Now we are saints. That sounds really arrogant. I get it. But that is what the Bible says. And if you are a saint, you are no longer indulging in the sins of this world. So we're going to move past that. The picture of Jesus that emerges in the Gospels is a man who lived his daily life in conscious, trusting dependence on his Father in heaven. We are to do the same. So when Jesus was in the desert and the devil was tempting him, what did he do? He was unshakable in his faith and knowledge of the word and in God and in scripture. And he would call the devil out on his lies using the word of God. He was dependent on God wherever he went. In John eleven forty through 43, it shows his dependence on the father God when he was raising Lazarus from the dead. Mark eight thirty one, he had confidence that his father would raise him from the dead. So Jesus is showing his absolute trust in his father. Again, in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating blood. Not my will, but yours be done, is what he said to God. He was dependent on God for the plan. He trusted God, even though he even said, please take this cup from me, please. But again, not my will, but yours be done. Are we living a life of not my will, but yours be done? I think sometimes, I'm going to be honest, we're disappointed. We aren't able to be our full selves and we don't have friends and we don't feel like anyone understands us and Maybe we even feel like a little bit of a caged animal wherever we're at in life and we don't feel like we can be ourselves at any given time during the day fully. And I have to trust that God has me where I'm at for a reason. And I have to say, God, this is hard. And there's many times I just, I don't want his will. I just want to make life easier and fluffier and simpler and distract myself and just not live this life to the fullest and not worry about the things of the Lord and just go along with everybody else. Watch the shows everybody else does so that I can have something to talk to people or get online and argue with people. I mean, these petty things that oddly can feel distracting or fulfilling. But if I'm meant to live in this moment right now and not get my way, but it's God's will for my life to be pouring my energy into something else, then I want his will, not mine. And I have to trust his plan, even when it's very, very, very hard. So ladies, that is part one of the lie of Christian. And it's a lot to chew on. And a lot of it you've heard or a lot of it you agree with or maybe some of it you do not agree with and you want to go read right now and you want to study and pray and say, God, I, ooh, I'm, I'm challenged and I want to know for sure where you're at with this. So let's pray because this is a two-parter so that you can really delve into what it is to follow Jesus and not what society says it is to be a Christian. See, the problem is, is right now we are seeking a spiritual breakthrough. And so many of us are looking to politics, to social media, to the news, to people to be the answer to a spiritual breakthrough. And only God can provide that. Only God can solve a spiritual deficit. Politics will never solve a spiritual deficit ever, ever, ever. And do I believe you need to take Jesus with you into the voting booth, even though we already have voted? Yes, I absolutely believe that. And I think if you're listening to the world and what they tell you, you should identify as as a Christian, you've misstepped. You need to back up. You need to, you need to know the devil is here to kill, steal, and destroy. And any policy 
that shadows and follows in line with that, we are not for. However, we are to follow Jesus and we can no longer look to the world to be him. There is no other Jesus. There is no other God, but my God. So let's just take a breather, digest, process, and jump back into this with part two in a few days. God, this has been a crazy month, a crazy week. It might still be a crazy month. It might be crazy till after Christmas. We don't know what's coming, but we will follow you thick or thin, storm or peace, wherever you go. Let us no longer identify with what the world tells us to. As Christians, we are followers of Jesus. We follow you, not the world. Help us be strong, brave, clear, loving, forgiving, all the things you were hands-on, honest, so that you can set people free through us. We know we cannot do that, but you can. But we've got to be the ones that take the risk, open our mouths, lean in, and follow you. We've got to move our feet, move our feet, break the cement off our, our boots, and move. We're ready, Jesus. Show us what to do through your word, through time with you, through praise, through worship, through the sacrifices we make in our day. Show us our purpose. Our purpose is what we need on this earth through you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, ladies, until next time.